Hello and welcome back to Bible Beginning to End, where we are reading through the scriptures together. I am so glad you're here. As always, I will be reading through and not offering commentary, but asking questions along the way so that you can take the time to really sit with these words and hear what God is saying to you through them. If you're listening along with me live as I release these, I apologize for the delay in between episodes. I do have a full-time job, so finding the time to record and edit these takes a little maneuvering, but I'm continuing along as best I can, and one day, when all these are complete, it will be a resource that will be out there, and nobody will even notice the delay in between, hopefully. So picking up today, we're still in numbers. We are still in this journey with the Israelites to the promised land. Last time, we saw the Israelites reach the plains of Moab. And today, we will start a new section that begins in Numbers 22, verse 2, called the Israelites camp in the plains of Moab and prepare to invade Canaan. So we're getting closer back to Canaan, where the promised land is. And we are seeing the Israelites as they make their way. So let's pick up in Numbers 22. Israel reaches the plains of Moab opposite Jericho. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. And the next section is Balak. Balaam and the Israelites. Balak sends for Balaam. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites, and when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in the native land of Pether, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. Okay, so pause there. What do you think of this man named Balaam? What do you think his background might be? What do we know of him from what was read here? Sometimes it's good to seek out some information and learn about these historical characters. Because the question also comes into play, why is God going to speak through him? How does Balaam know that God has a message for him? And what does that tell us about who God is able to use? 
Verse 9. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, Do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, Go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So pause there. How is God preparing the way for the Israelites? How is God honoring his promises to the Israelites? Verse 14. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak tried again. This time, he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, Even if Balak were to give me his place filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them but do only what I tell you to do. So pause there. That's interesting. God comes back and delivers a message, and this time he says, okay, go with them. But who is he supposed to listen to? What can we learn from this? What is this teaching us about God? And what is this teaching us about prayer and speaking with God? The next section is Balaam and his donkey travel to Moab. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. So pause there. Hmm, why do you think God was angry? Why do we see that shift where he just told him to go, and now he's angry and he's sending an angel to block his path? The rest of verse 22. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you? that deserves your beating me three 
times, it asked Balaam. You've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord. I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, Go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. When King Balak heard that Balaam was on the way, he went out to meet him at a Moabite town on the Arnon River at the farthest border of his land. Didn't I send you an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away? Balak asked Balaam. Didn't you believe me when I said I would reward you richly? Balaam replied, Look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam accompanied Balak to Kiriath Huzzath, where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamath Baal. From there, he could see some of the people of Israel spread out below him. So pause there at the end of chapter 22. What do you make of this story with Balaam and the donkey? You know, we have God saying, yes, go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. But then God must have seen something in Balaam's intentions that were misaligned with God's desires. What do you think that was? Why do you think God became angry? Why do you think God used an angel to deliver this message? Why do you think Balaam was unable to see the angel until after he starts speaking with the donkey. This is a very interesting story. I mean, there are so many questions you could ask and sit with. Why did God allow Balaam's donkey to speak? What is significant here when you see the Lord opening Balaam's eyes and then all of a sudden he can see the truth that was in front of him? Just take some time and think on that story and see what God is revealing to you about it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, 
So now we're going to start Numbers 23, Balaam's first message. Then Balaam said to King Balak, Build me seven altars here and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. Balak followed his instructions and the two of them sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offerings, and I will go to see if the Lord will respond to me. Then I will tell you whatever he reveals to me. So Balaam went alone to the top of a bare hill, and God met him there. Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars and have sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Then he said, Go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. This was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom God has not condemned? I see them from the clifftops. I watch them from the hills. I see a people who live by themselves, set apart from other nations. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can count even a fourth of Israel's people? Let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them? But Balaam replied, I will speak only the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. So pause there and think on that message. Who is Balaam talking about? Who is he talking to? And who gave him this message? Think about the words that were said. How God talked about Israel. How he blessed them. And think about why Balak was surprised and angry when the message was a blessing for his enemies, not a curse. The next section is Balaam's second message. Then King Balak told him, Come with me to another place. There you will see another part of the nation of Israel, but not all of them. Curse at least that many. So Balak took Balaam to the plateau of Zophim on Pisgah Peak. He built seven altars there and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to the king, Stand here by your burnt offerings while I go over there to meet with the Lord. And the Lord met Balaam and gave him a message. Then he said, Go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. What did the Lord say? Balak asked eagerly. This was the message Balaam delivered. So pause here and let's pay attention to this message. As I'm reading it, think about what's being said, 
what do you expect God to say versus what is actually said? And here we go. Verse 18. This was the message Balaam delivered. Rise up, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zipper. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, I received a command to bless. God has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. No misfortune is in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel. For the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king. God brought them out of Egypt. For them he is as strong as a wild ox. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now... It will be said of Jacob, what wonders God has done for Israel. These people rise up like a lioness, like a majestic lion rousing itself. They refuse to rest until they have feasted on prey, drinking the blood of the slaughtered. So let's pause there. What was the significance of Balak? changing locations to get this second message. What did he think might happen? Did he think he was going to get a different answer from God? Did he think it might be a place that would favor what he wanted? But then what did God say? Did God affirm his original message or did he change his mind? And what is this telling us about God's commitment to the Israelites? Verse 25, Then Balak said to Balaam, Fine, but if you won't curse them, at least don't bless them. But Balaam replied to Balak, Didn't I tell you that I can only do what the Lord tells me to do? The next section is Balaam's third message. Then King Balak said to Balaam, Come, I will take you to one more place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them from there. So pause here. Why do you think Balak has it in his head that maybe one more location change will give him the result he wants? Verse 28. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Mount Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Balaam again told Balak, build me seven altars and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. So Balak did as Balaam ordered and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. And I'm going to pause right there just to let you know that that was the end of chapter 23. And then chapter 24 picks right up after that sentence in this same section of Balaam's third message. By now, Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel. So he did not resort to divination as before. Instead, he turned and looked out toward the wilderness, where he saw the people of Israel camped tribe by tribe. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and this is the message he delivered. So pause there. What are the differences that we're seeing from this third message already? What do you think God is going to say? 
the rest of verse 3. This is the message of Balaam son of Baor, the message of the man whose eyes see clearly, the message of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob! How lovely are your homes, O Israel! They spread before me like palm groves, like gardens by the riverside. They are like tall trees planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their offspring have all they need. Their king will be greater than Agog. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he is as strong as a wild ox. He devours all the nations that oppose him, breaking their bones into pieces, shooting them with arrows. Like a lion, Israel crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to arouse her. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, O Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. So pause there at the end of the third message. What is God saying here? What are the similarities and differences between the previous messages? Is God leaving Israel? Is he going to turn his back on Israel? Think about the language in this message. The imagery. Is the language that God chooses strong or weak? How is he getting this message across? And what do you think Balak's reaction will be? Verse 10. King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. He angrily clapped his hands and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies. Instead, you've blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promise to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept you from your reward. Pause there. That's an interesting response. Clearly, Balak is very angry. But who is he blaming? You know, he's telling Balaam, like, I was going to reward you for your work, but who did he blame for this? Let's see Balaam's response in verse 12. Balaam told Balak, don't you remember what I told your messenger? And I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. I told you that I could say only what the Lord says. Now I am returning to my own people, but first, let me tell you what the Israelites will do to your people in the future. So pause there. What do you think he's going to say? He's going to give one more message. What do you think? That message is going to be. The last section in this chapter is Balaam's final message. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor, the message of the man whose 
eyes see clearly the message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be taken over, and Seir, its enemy, will be conquered, while Israel marches on in triumph. A ruler will rise in Jacob, who will destroy the survivors of Ur. Then Balaam looked over toward the people of Amalek and delivered this message. Amalek was the greatest of nations, but its destiny is destruction. Then he looked over toward the Kenites and delivered this message. Your home is secure. Your nest is set in the rocks, but the Kenites will be destroyed when Assyria takes you captive. Balaam concluded his messages by saying, Alas, who can survive unless God has willed it? Ships will come from the coasts of Cyprus. They will oppress Assyria and afflict Eber. But they too will be utterly destroyed. Then Balaam and Balak returned to their homes. So pause there at the end of chapter 24. There was a lot in that final message. And let's remember who Balaam was. We talked about how he was a sorcerer. And yet, he's speaking so much truth. And did you catch a part of his message in there that points toward Christ? keep track of how many times we're seeing something in the Old Testament that are whispers and messages that are letting us know someone is coming. A Messiah is coming. And did you see a piece of that in this final message? And isn't it amazing how Balaam's story shows us that God can use anyone he wants, even the most unlikely people to deliver his messages. And how is this message showing that he's going to keep his promises to Israel and that he will make his name great through them? Okay, so let's get into Numbers 25. Moab seduces Israel into apostasy. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal, of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. So pause there. Why... Is God angry? What were the Israelites doing? What do you think might have led them into this sin? 
verse 4. The Lord issued the following command to Moses, Seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshiping Baal of Peor. Just then, one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent, right before the eyes of Moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. So pause there. What do you think about that man who just openly sinned right in front of everyone? And what does that tell us about the Israelites that after the judgment was cast, they're weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. What might that be telling us about them? Verse 7, When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron the priest, saw this, he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear and rushed after the man into his tent. Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. So pause there and think about that story. Think about that reaction. It's okay to ask questions. You might find as you're reading through the Old Testament that there's a lot more violence than you expected. That was a very violent act. And it's okay to ask questions and wonder why these things are happening in the scriptures. What we're learning about God. It's good to pray on these things and talk to God and ask him to clarify. What do these stories mean? Why are they here for us to listen to? Verse 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was. So I stopped destroying all Israel as I had intended to do in my zealous anger. Now tell him that I am making my special covenant of peace with him. In this covenant, I give him and his descendants a permanent right to the priesthood, for in his zeal for me, his God, he purified the people of Israel, making them right with me. So pause there. What is God's response telling us about what Phineas did? Why is God giving this blessing and making this covenant with Phineas? Verse 14, the Israelite man killed with the Midianite woman was named Zimri, son of Salu the leader of a family from the tribe of Simeon. The woman's name was Cosby. She was the daughter of Zer, the leader of a Midianite clan. Then the Lord said to Moses, Attack the Midianites and destroy them, because they assaulted you with deceit and tricked you into worshiping Baal of Peor, and because of Cosby, the daughter of a Midianite leader, who was killed at the time of the plague because of what happened at Peor. So you can pause there at the end of chapter 25 and think about that story. Think about the Midianites, the man who sinned, and why God was so angry. 
what had the Israelites been led to do? Who were they worshiping instead of God? And why was that such an assault against God? And how do you feel and think about God's reaction? The last chapter we're going to read today is going to be a lot of names and people. It's another registration of the Israelite troops. And so I'm probably not going to stop as much in this chapter because there's less to ask questions on and more to just reflect. Maybe reflect on the importance of each person. Reflect on the fact that God knows them by name. Reflect on the fact that God cares about them so much to make sure he knows where everyone is and that everyone is accounted for. So Numbers 26, the second registration of Israel's troops. After the plague had ended, the Lord said to Moses and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, From the whole community of Israel, record the names of all the warriors by their families. List all the men twenty years old or older who are able to go to war. So there on the plains of Moab, beside the Jordan River, across, across from Jericho, Moses and Eleazar the priest issued these instructions to the leaders of Israel. List all the men of Israel, twenty years old and older, just as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the record of all the descendants of Israel who came out of Egypt, the tribe of Reuben. These were the clans descended from the sons of Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, the Hanakite clan, named after their ancestor Hanak, the Paluite clan, named after their ancestor Palu, the Hezronite clan, named after their ancestor Hezron, the Carmite clan, named after their ancestor Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. Their registered troops numbered 43,730. Palu was the ancestor of Eliab, and Eliab was the father of Nemuel, Dothan, and Abiram. This Dothan and Abiram are the same community leaders who conspired with Korah against Moses and Aaron rebelling against the Lord. But the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them with Korah, and fire devoured 250 of their followers. This served as a warning to the entire nation of Israel. However, the sons of Korah did not die that day. The Tribe of Simeon These were the clans descended from the sons of Simeon. The Jemuelite clan, named after their ancestor Jemuel. The Jamanite clan, named after their ancestor Jaman. The Jachanite clan, named after their ancestor Jachan. The Zoharite clan, named after their ancestor Zohar. The Shaulite clan, named after their ancestor Shaul. These were the clans of Simeon. Their registered troops numbered 22,200. The tribe of Gad. These were the clans descended from the sons of Gad. The Zephonite clan, named after their ancestor Zephon. The Haggite clan, named after their ancestor Haggai. The Shunite clan, named after their ancestor Shuni. The Oznite clan, named after their ancestor Ozni. The Erite clan, named after their ancestor Eri. The Eridite clan, named after their ancestor Eridai. The Aralite clan, named after their ancestor Arali. These were the clans of Gad. 
their registered troops numbered 40,500. The tribe of Judah. Judah had two sons, Ur and Onan, who had died in the land of Canaan. These were the clans descended from Judah's surviving sons. The Shelanite clan named after their ancestor Shelah, the Perizzite clan named after their ancestor Perez, the Zerahite clan named after their ancestor Zerah. These were the subclans descended from the Perizzites, the Hezronites named after their ancestor Hezron, the Hamulites named after their ancestor Hamul. These were the clans of Judah. Their registered troops numbered 76,500. The tribe of Issachar. These were the clans descended from the sons of Issachar. The Tolaite clan, named after their ancestor Tola. The Puite clan, named after their ancestor Pua. The Joshubite clan, named after their ancestor Joshub. The Shimronite clan, named after their ancestor Shimron. These were the clans of Issachar. Their registered troops numbered 64,300. The tribe of Zebulun. These were the clans descended from the sons of Zebulun. The Saradite clan named after their ancestor Sarad. The Elanite clan named after their ancestor Elan. The Elanite clan named after their ancestor Elon. The Jehelite clan named after their ancestor Jehiel. The Jalelite clan named after their ancestor Jalil. These were the clans of Zebulun. Their registered troops numbered 60,500. The tribe of Manasseh. Two clans were descended from Joseph through Manasseh and Ephraim. These were the clans descended from Manasseh. The Macarite clan, named after their ancestor Macar. The Gileadite clan, named after their ancestor Gilead, Macar's son. These were the subclans descended from the Gileadites. The Izzerites, named after their ancestor Izzer. The Helakites, named after their ancestor Helak. The Osrielites, named after their ancestor Osriel. The Shechemites, named after their ancestor Shechem. The Shemadites, named after their ancestor Shemida. The Hepherites, named after their ancestor Hepher. One of Hepher's descendants, Zelophehad, had no sons, but his daughter's names were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza. These were the clans of Manasseh. Their registered troops numbered 52,700. The tribe of Ephraim. These were the clans descended from the sons of Ephraim. The Shuthalahite clan named after their ancestor Shuthala. The Becherite clan named after their ancestor Becher. The Tahanite clan named after their ancestor Tahan. This was the sub-clan descended from the Shuthalahites. The Aaronites named after their ancestor Aaron. These were the clans of Ephraim. Their registered troops numbered 32,500. These clans of Manasseh and Ephraim were all descendants of Joseph. The tribe of Benjamin. These were the clans descended from the sons of Benjamin. The Belite clan named after their ancestor Bela. The Ashbelite clan named after their ancestor Ashbel. The Ahiramite clan named after their ancestor Ahiram. The Shuphamite clan named after their ancestor Shufam. The Hufamite clan named after their ancestor Hufam. These were the subclans descended from the Belots. The Ardites named after their ancestor Ard. The Naamites named after their ancestor Naaman. These were the clans of Benjamin. Their registered troops numbered 45,600. The tribe of Dan. 
These were the clans descended from the sons of Dan, the Shuhamite clan named after their ancestor Shuham. These were the Shuhamite clans of Dan. Their registered troops numbered 64,400. The tribe of Asher. These were the clans descended from the sons of Asher. The Imnite clan, named after their ancestor Imna. The Ishvite clan, named after their ancestor Ishvi. The Bariite clan, named after their ancestor Beria. These were the subclans descended from the Bariites. The Heberites, named after their ancestor Heber. The Malkielites, named after their ancestor Malkiel. Asher also had a daughter named Sarah. These were the clans of Asher. Their registered troops numbered 53,400. The tribe of Naphtali. These were the clans descended from the sons of Naphtali. The Jehezalite clan, named after their ancestor Jaziel. The Gunite clan, named after their ancestor Guni. The Jezerite clan, named after their ancestor Jezer. The Shilamite clan, named after their ancestor Shilam. These were the clans of Naphtali, and their registered troops numbered 45,400. Results of the registration. In summary, the registered troops of all Israel numbered 601,730. Then the Lord said to Moses, Divide the land among the tribes and distribute the grants of land in proportion to the tribes' populations, as indicated by the number of names on the list. Give the larger tribes more land, and the smaller tribes less land, each group receiving a grant in proportion to the size of its population. But you must assign the land by lot and give land to each ancestral tribe according to the number of names on the list. Each grant of land must be assigned by lot among the larger and smaller tribal groups. The tribe of Levi. This is the record of the Levites who were counted according to their clans, the Gershonite clan named after their ancestor Gershon, the Kohathite clan named after their ancestor Kohath, the Merarite clan named after their ancestor Merari, the Libnites, the Hebronites, the Malites, the Mushites, and the Koratites were all subclans of the Levites. Now Kohath was the ancestor of Amram, and Amram's wife was named Jochebed. She also was a descendant of Levi born among the Levites in the land of Egypt. Amran and Jochebed became the parents of Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. To Aaron was born Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died when they burned before the Lord the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. The men from the Levite clans who were one month old or older, numbered 23,000. But the Levites were not included in the registration of the rest of the people of Israel because they were not given an allotment of land when it was divided among the Israelites. Summary of the Registration So these are the results of the registration of the people of Israel as conducted by Moses and Eleazar the priest of the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Not one person on this list had been among those listed in the previous registration taken by Moses and Aaron in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord said to them, They will all die in the wilderness. Not one of them survived except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. So pause there at the end of chapter 26. Yes, that was a lot, a lot of names. 
but pause to think about even just that last little section where we see what God told Moses would happen has happened. All the adults from the previous census who God said would die in the wilderness have died in the wilderness, and yet somehow God has still kept the Israelites a thriving nation. What does that tell us about God and show us about his power? And as we get ready for next time, we will see the Israelites start to prepare for invasion. And there is still a lot more to come on this journey for the Israelites. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that God spoke to you through his word. And I, as always, will talk to you in the next one.